Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. So Sam Amy, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast. I'm Sam Amick, NBA national writer at The Athletic. Here, as always, with one of our guys, Anthony Slater, normally of the West Coast. Slater, coming at me from the great capital of Washington, D.C. On today's show, we will be talking about his Warriors, who are are getting out of the nation's capital with a 127-118 win. Talking all things Warriors, that's a, a W that they needed very, very badly, my friend. But we are also going to have super producer Andrew Schlecht dive in and talk about all things Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, not only the way they're playing, but some of the the chatter around the league about what they might do. Sam Presti and with that roster, uh, it is trade season after all. And so in, in that fine form, we will be talking with uh, Eric Kareen of the Toronto Raptors beat writing Universe, Eric going to join us later in the show. That's kind of the lineup for today. Slater, we are on Zoom today. Uh, you are in grinding mode because you are a man who wears many hats, but uh, but you're you're in that warrior state of mind at the moment. Uh, you just saw the the you know the Dubs and the defending champs get out of there with a, another game that was somewhat hairy for a lot of the afternoon. Uh, yes. Thoughts and opinions. Yeah, I'm actually sitting still uh, atop the tunnel. Of the visiting tunnel, I mean, I don't know when's the last time you came to a, to a Wizards game, but quite some time. Yeah, <laughs> um, really good seat, you know, right, you know, in the tunnel, but that where they walk in and out of, and it's kind of near their bench, uh, and it was just kind of a good view of the vibe of the Warriors today, which you know you mentioned they're coming in twenty one and twenty two, four and seventeen on the road, one and ten against Eastern Conference teams on the road. They had a bad loss in Chicago yesterday afternoon. It was a very rare afternoon to afternoon back to back. Steve Kerr even said he's like, I'm not sure I've ever done this where they played it. 2.30 in Chicago and then 3 p.m. the next day in D.C. Right. Uh, and they were sluggish. And, you, you know, you mentioned the need for the win. I mean, they are just trying to gain any traction this season. And they are down for much of the game, including, I think, nine in the third quarter. Kristaps Porzingis has given them the business one day after Nikola Vucevic scored 43 on them. Um, the defense isn't there. And, you know, you know, you can often monitor the mood of the Warriors by the mood of Draymond. Um, no question. Yeah. He was just kind of sluggish today. Didn't have it. He had, he had kind of dinged the team for not having a sense of urgency the day before, but you could just, you know, they're older, the back to back, just the, the wearing of this season on them. It just looked like they were heading towards another, like really kind of concerning loss, but there was a fan right behind the scorers table that was getting on Draymond and included Draymond told me post game, was questioning his Hall of Fame credentials. It said it was like, you you better not ever say you a Hall of Famer again. Like, oh, you know, and Draymond just lit up and he was going at this guy <laughs> for the entirety of the second half. And he had like vintage Draymond last 15 minutes of the game, you know, ripping steals, kind of traffic rebounds, pushing the pace, great passes, hit two threes. And, you know, when he hits two threes, like 
I think the Warriors like historical records like nine hundred percent, uh, you know, win percentage. Um, and he just after every time he did any little thing, he was roaring at this guy who was, uh, who who was. It became somewhat of a friendly interaction where he was also talking to Steph, Sonia Curry, and Aisha Curry were kind of sitting a few rows back. Uh, and there was some good banter between them. It seemed the whole Warriors organization is here because they're going to the White House uh, tomorrow, and uh, it just like really post game. You were talking to a lot of people around the team. They were like thanking the fan. They were really happy. They thought they wow. they lit that he lit the Draymond Green fuse, and that sparked like a, a road when they really needed. Is it too big picture for my reaction to be? I mean, this is you know the organization, the group. That's got, you know, four championships, all those finals appearances. They've talked in the past about the fatigue of the journey. You know, they had that little mini break when the injuries obviously made them a, 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 you know, a bottom of the barrel team for a year and a half or so. But this feels like the type of thing that if you're Dramont, if you're Steph, and even, even though he just came back from the injury that you need, it's the stuff around the edges to get you fired up in the middle of the regular season. That being said, like it's pretty counterintuitive to think that this i mean this group should be desperate right now they just got back to 500 they are in a, a challenging place in the standings um uh, you know i'm a little surprised to hear that it took that to get draymond yeah. going but but i guess whatever it takes yeah i mean it's i think it's just the you know it's it's year whatever of this dynasty run and i you know there was that two-year gap that I think motivated them for last year. And there's so much of the story last year, that 18 and two start. And obviously the surprising to a lot of people run to the title was like a reinvigorated, re-energized warriors because we remember 2019, the last Durant year and the organizational just fatigue at every level. And, you know, almost like they were breathing a sigh of relief when it was all over. And even that next season, when they go 15 and 50, everybody's hurt. It was like a vacation season, right? They weren't like, mad that they were 15 and 50 they were just like whatever we you know we're kind of giving this season up this isn't completely to that range but i just think they they've been having a tough time getting themselves going for the 82 game journey again and and there's various reasons and rotation uh re you know there's also just future stuff lingering over them i mean like you know is draymond's future still here other people around the organization um so I, you know, and they keep talking about w- thinking it's coming, thinking it's coming. And, uh, you know, it, again, it came tonight. They're 22 and 22, but they're about to play back to back against the Celtics and Cavaliers. They could easily be 22 and 24 when we're talking right. by the end of the weekend. So, well, uh, they're, they're two and two with Steph coming back. And, I, and because you're watching it more closely than I am, I do wonder, you know, why hasn't Steph seemingly been, you know, the, the solution right out the gate? I know he was out, you know, for essentially a month. Um, almost a month, but they dropped that game against a Phoenix team that had next to nobody. You know, you beat the Spurs, which nobody is impressed by. You get smoked by the Bulls, and then you pull this thing out against the Wizards. People, myself included, were under the illusion that when Steph got back, you know, because they had some momentum before he got hurt, that they'd be off and running again. Uh, I know Clay obviously didn't play today, but but what are you seeing in terms of that just not being the case? Yeah, I mean, look, Steph's playing fine. He had uh, what I'm looking up at the the scoreboard now, 41 tonight. Um, You know, and he was good in San Antonio in the win. Uh, He was fine in Phoenix. He was even fine offensively, mostly as a scorer in Chicago. But he was a little sloppy, a little rusty. Him and Wiggins, I should mention. Wiggins also came back during the stretch, and Wiggins has looked really rusty. And he's probably their second most important player at this point. Yeah, six Um, of fifteen today. One of six from long range. Yeah, when he went out, he was. When he went out, he was 45% from three. He had eight threes in the last game before he strained his groin. And it was just like the best he'd ever looked offensively. And this is, to me, like the worst I've ever seen him offensively, like in this Warrior stretch. He just can't really find it right now. And I think beyond that, you know, the why has Steph not been the solution? The defense has been bad. Um, and, you know, they got they're kind of thin in the front court beyond, beyond Draymond and Looney anyways, but even the reinforcements that had been underwhelming are out. Wiseman's out. Jamichael Green's out. Jonathan Kaminga's out. And, I, you know, you saw Vucevic give them 43. Their perimeter defense has been a little bit more Olay this season. Wiggins, because he hasn't been there, he was out for a long time, and he just hasn't been as active, like has left them without a great wing defender. And, right. uh, you know, they lose to Chicago not because, oh, Steph Curry was cold. He was fine. They gave up 132 points to the Bulls. And they're the ne- – Entering today with a 19th ranked defense. How did they win the title last year? Second ranked defense in the regular season, 
you know, pretty much best playoff defense. Uh, and they just haven't been that, although they were in the fourth because their emotional engine was, was sparked by a fan so much. So by this fan, by the way, one last note I wanted to give on this, cause I'm going to put it in my post game story. Um, with about 45 seconds left, Draymond had just clinched it with another big play, and he's walking around the court just peacocking, basically yelling at this fan. Everyone in the arena knows who he's yelling at. Bob Myers, Mike Dunleavy, and then about five seconds later, Joe Lacob come down as they're walking towards the visitors, and they stop to talk to this fan. They're in a great mood, and I've heard Joe Lacob was even offering this guy uh, – to, to bring him to Boston. He wanted to bring him to Boston for <laughs> Thursday's game and just plant him near Draymond Green and be like, go at him again. Please keep doing this. It's probably a plant from the very beginning. Joe's probably already got Might this guy be. on payroll. Light years, right? Light years. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Last thought for me on the Warriors front, my friend, is, and not to get too hot takey and speculative, but you know we're at the halfway point, right? So I just wonder, in terms of you reading the room, and try to, to get a pulse on this group. Are you closer to the camp that says it's the Warriors, the body of work, you know, demands that, that we trust they're going to get it right by the end of the season and they will be a title contender? Or are you swinging it the other way where you feel like the, the body of work in this first half of the season and some of the struggles therein are such that, that you're questioning, you know, whether or not they can get this thing there where, where they want it to go? Yeah, I'd say the, where the concern lies is I think their defensive personnel has been downgraded. You know, no Gary Payton II, no Otto Porter. And again, part of their reasoning on Otto Porter not, you know, giving him the full mid-level was concerned about his health and Otto Porter's out for the year. We're going to talk about the Raptors later, and that'll probably be a topic. Um, so there's nothing to say that Otto Porter or Gary Payton II, who's played like four games or something this season, would be, you know, the solution here. But they were key, you know, mid-rotation pieces last year that just, they haven't had this year. And right. uh, so I I don't believe in this team as much as I believed in that team last year. But then I also look around the West. And as Clay Thompson said the other day, and as is a feeling in the organization, is, is like, get us healthy. They believe get us healthy and a decent seed in the playoffs. And like, who are you picking in a, in the West in a seven-game series to beat them four times? That is, that's their opinion. And it's hard when I, when I have conversations with people in the organization, it is hard to disagree that, like, if they are just lined up, locked in, and healthy in a playoff series, that, like, oh, Denver is going to, you know, what is Denver thinking if, it's, if that's the 1-8? Yeah, no, I mean they they would be the unofficial underdog, uh, in my opinion, even if the you know Vegas had it differently. I agree. Um, I'm actually fittingly in Denver right now, so I'm looking forward to getting eyes on the Nuggets the next couple of days. But I mean that this is a weird year in the West where none of the contenders, I think, are being taken all that seriously. At least with the sort of reverence that a team like the Warriors, you know, has kind of earned in years past. It's it's the year of okay, Denver's nice, New Orleans is nice, Memphis is nice. From there, you've got the drop off. You know, kudos to the Kings for being fourth in the West right now. But you have essentially that group of three that you know that earn respect by way of their success and their record. But when it comes to being proven in the playoffs, nobody among those three teams, no, no squad can claim to have, you know, been on top of the mountaintop. So that's why the Warriors are going to remain part of the conversation. Yeah. And they've had two games this season where they've kind of reached into the tank. And I think reminded everybody that like, they're still spooky. If, you know, all together and locked in. And that's, of course, the Celtics. Remember when the Celtics were really hot and they yeah. came in, the Warriors yeah. kind of blew them out. And then Christmas against that Memphis team, shorthanded, no Steph Curry. Um, and just, you know, we're, there was such pride that night in the way they attacked that Memphis team. Um, and, you know, a pretty f fully healthy Memphis team that night. And I just think those two reminders have just made it clear that, like, I think there are reasons to doubt, reasons to critique the Warriors and wonder if they should maybe make a little move. But, um, you know, it's just that the West is it's just not doing anything to make anybody fear them. So maybe, uh, you know, Sam, maybe there's a dark horse in the West. Maybe they <laughs> reside in Oklahoma City. I don't know. What do you think? Man, what a pro here. What a pro with the natural segue. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if you look at the Western Conference standings and we talk about the Warriors, and this is the age-old calculus of expectations versus outcome, right? Like when you are expected to be a champion, then 22 and 22 is not very good. When you are expected to be, you know, going for Wembenyana and, and being one of the worst teams in the NBA, like the Oklahoma City Thunder, even with Shea Gilgis-Alexander being fantastic, then when we look up midseason 
And we see the Thunder at 21 and 23, just one game behind the Warriors, which is a lot to wrap your head around. Without then, that Wizards fan, they might be tied tonight. Right. Because right, that's right, what the Warriors record would have right. been. Then, of course, is the perfect time to bring in the one, the only, Andrew Schlecht, who has got as good of a pulse on all things Thunder as anybody, been in the market a long time, has fantastic relationships up and down that Thunder organization. Andrew, uh, as always, we love you to death. You're the super producer on here. Now we're going to have you put the inside hat on because you know you do have such a good feel for it. Um, I'll start big picture. Where was your head at going into this season as it relates to what you thought the Thunder would look like on the court and in the context of the lottery and in the draft um, versus what we have seen, which is now all of a sudden a dangerous team that, you know, if they felt like going for it, they could make noise this year. And then we obviously know that, you know, oh, by the way, you've got a talented young player in Chet Holmgren sitting on the sideline because of that Liz Frank injury that he suffered in the summer. That's a hell of a guy to add to the mix for next year. The, the future is looking pretty good for the Thunder. Yeah. It's pretty astonishing that you look up halfway through and they've already got 21 wins. I mean, I expected them to win 27 games, and okay. that was probably on the high side of what some people thought. You know, Vegas thought they'd win 23. And so they're already way ahead of that schedule. They'll probably, I mean, they play the Pacers on Wednesday in Oklahoma City, so that's one game closer. I mean, they're going to hit their over-under here pretty fast. So and they're just on, super, I mean, super quick context, apologies. Mm-hmm. 10 wins in 15 games. Like they're surging. They were 11 and 18 to start the year. So in terms of momentum and hot teams in the NBA, I mean, OKC is is without question one of them. Yeah. I mean, since December 1st, the the seventh ranked team in net rating in the NBA. I mean, they've been really good. That's a sample size. Yeah. It's a 22 game stretch. And within that stretch, the thing that has changed the most is just the play of Josh Giddey. In that stretch, Josh Giddey's 17 points. 50-40-90 shooting splits during that time. He rebounds like a madman. He's obviously a great passer. But the thing that's changed the most is that he's learned how to play with Shea. When the season started, they it's not like they were playing poorly together, but there were times where Mark Degnall would end games without Josh on the court and just have Shea and like defensive wings out there with him. Now, you can't imagine them closing a game without Josh out there. He was the best player on the court in Brooklyn, and the Thunder have gotten some luck along the way. Like they've played a lot of teams without their stars recently, but they beat those teams. You know, and that's what a, a good team does. Like you beat the team that's in front of you. And so the Thunder have been doing that. They've been since December 1st, they've been a really good team. And so I think this can continue. They seem like they're really building. Obviously Shea <laughs> has been tremendous. But like Josh has been really good. Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara has been phenomenal. And then Kenrich Williams has been another one who's played a lot during that stretch. He plays about 25 minutes a game, and he's he's the heart and soul of that team. I mean, if, if somebody's not defending, somebody's not doing their job, Kenrich is going to be the one to tell them. And so having him in the starting lineup a lot and having him play a pretty big role has helped them a lot too. He's uh, the lineage of Tabo Cephalosha to Andre Robertson to Kendrick Williams, right? <laughs> yeah, um, Kendrick, he's he's fun. And his story is just so interesting because he was essentially a throw-in in the Steven Adams deal. They got him from the Pelicans. He had a non-guaranteed deal, and he was expected to be waived. And I think the Thunder were around him for a couple weeks, and they were like, yeah, this is, this is our guy. Like, we really like this guy. They found, you know, within this period where they've kind of, you know, taken a step way out of the spotlight in the NBA and like obviously have focused on high level draft picks, you know, getting the the lottery balls that really change franchises. And maybe Chet Holmgren does giddy sixth overall, obviously, you know, the Shea part of the Paul George deal now looks incredible. Um, but they've, you know, the Lou Dort, uh, he was was he undrafted or like late second? Undrafted. Yep. Okay. Yeah, they picked yeah, him up. Undrafted. He was a two-way player. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned Kendrick Kenrich Williams. Um, is that what's the core here? Like, what's the what's the sick? Is it like how many players deep does like the this actual next wave of the Thunder that is obviously more focused on next season, really probably two seasons from now? Like, who are the guys that matter? Yeah. I mean. Shea, Josh Giddy, and Chet are like the top tier guys. Like that's that's the focus. And then like Lou Dort's there as well. Jalen Williams is is one of those guys. And then I would say Kenrich. And then Jaylen everybody Williams? else. 
Jalen yeah, Williams, Jaylen. is he rising towards like the giddy range, maybe? Maybe not Shea Chet, but like giddy range. Man, he he's really good. He he's got to figure out the shooting. He has not shot well from three. He shot better lately. But on the season, he hadn't shot well from three. But he finishes, I think he's like 75% at the rim this season, which is just unheard of for a perimeter player. He's been really good. Defensively, he's got a ways to go. Uh, the game feels a little fast for him on the defensive end. But offensively, like he can get to the rack. He can create off the pick and roll. He will operate as the center sometimes on the offensive end in the dunker spot. He just does a lot of things for this team and just kind of is the guy that plugs any hole. Like, we need a power forward? Great. Oh, we need a backup point guard? Great. You go play that position. He just kind of does everything for them. And I think people think of him as a lower ceiling guy just because he was a little older. He doesn't have elite athleticism. But I, I think just with the way that he plays, he's got, he's got a decent ceiling on him too. Guys, as you know, I don't necessarily need to dive in here. We got the two Oklahoma boys who could talk thunder all day. You know, I'm the outsider on this one. But I do wonder, Andrew and Slater, of course, used to cover the thunder back in his Oklahoman days. I do wonder um, what's the pulse internally. And, and as we get closer to this trade deadline on February 9th, a lot of the different qualities that you just highlighted from a lot of the different guys, you know, could uh, work well if they had a different jersey on. And, you know, that's how – other teams and other GMs are going to be thinking. And Sam Presti is always as you know thorough as anybody in the league. I'll use that word just because you know I don't know how active he plans on being, but and you know always going to be thorough, always going to know you know the market and and where he might have opportunity. Um, how do you think the next month goes as it relates to that group? I think it's probably pretty quiet. I think that they have a group that they really like, and. I think really the only guy that you can expect there to be any action on is Darius Baisley. He's a restricted free agent this summer. Presti historically doesn't like guys to get to restricted free agency. Um, not that somebody's going to make a big offer for Darius Baisley. I don't think that they're afraid of that happening. But also, they need a roster spot. They have one first-round pick in this next draft. Their, their roster's full and full of a lot of guys on rookie-scale deals that they like cheap contracts they also have Isaiah Joe who's on a really cheap deal that has played really really well for them as well so I think that if anybody's going to get moved it's Darius Baisley I'd be surprised if anybody else left I just don't Mike think Muscala I, stretch big Mike Muscala uh, Mike Muscala loves Oklahoma City like you would be shocked <laughs> to have a conversation with Mike Muscala about his affinity for the team two years ago I asked him um just about like what the city meant to him. He started crying. Like he was crying about how much he Let loved the city. Let me ask you something. Uh, Andrew, who who does Mike Muscala love Oklahoma City more than Sam Presti loves a, p- a potential high second round pick for Mike Muscala? <laughs> who is not loves to Mike Muscala more? <laughs> he he is thought of as a as like a veteran on the team. To which help you do these need, guys. which you know. Yeah. So that is, I, I really I don't think that the, the Thunder have so many picks. They have so many assets that I think that they're because they could have gotten a pick for Kendrick Williams last year. They could have gotten a pick from Muscala last year too. But like they value more than just picks. I know that from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, all they want is picks. This is what it's all about. If that were true, they would have turned Kendrick Williams into something already. They would have yeah. done Mike, they would have traded Mike Muscala already. They brought him back on a new deal. They like him. I don't know how long I can see Kendrick's being on this team when the Thunder are in the playoffs here in a couple of years. Yeah, that's with why Muscala, I, would almost, I don't Muscala, yeah. I don't I don't have as much of a feel for that. I also don't know like what's the appetite for Muscala. He's kind of got a bum ankle. He can't play a lot of minutes. Um I don't know. He shot the ball well. I don't I think I think he stays. I think honestly if anybody's moved, it'll be Baisley and that'll probably be it. What about the man who's front and center and who we talked about early this season, Andrew, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk some SGA in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So the quick TikTok rewind for folks who might not have heard it on previous pods, we've kind of joked it a, a few different times about how early this season I write about the idea that rival teams would love to get their hands on Shea, the Thunder, not surprisingly push back on that very hard. Um, the, the, you know, this is a guy they're all in on. This is a guy who, you know, when you sat down with Shea and had a fantastic interview in training camp, he made it clear, like, 
we're done losing. Like we are going to be competitive. And I'm paraphrasing, but he made it clear it was time to compete and that that was going to happen. Well, to his credit, to their credit, it's happening. But I want to go a little bit deeper than that because for me, I still, you know, I don't get out to OKC like I used to. And I've had some fantastic times out there and learning about the relationship between Kevin Durant and the city. When Kevin was there, between Russ and the city, when Russ was there, I don't have a good sense of the, the relationship between Shea and the city. You know, Slater highlighted it a second ago, like that Paul George trade. I mean, I remember the Clippers, the, the second that trade went down, there was some buyer's remorse. Now, obviously not enough for the deal not to go down, but Doc Rivers, that Clippers group, they knew that Shea was going to be special. I don't know if they knew how special, but that was the one that they were a little nervous that that, that was the one that got away. It, he obviously did. Fantastic, amazing, you know, a player. Just, his resume is going to be something else by the time he's done. But what's that relationship between he and the city? It seems like he's got affection for OKC, and it seems like you know he's fine just competing there and, and getting better every year. Yeah, I mean, he he's saying all the right things. You know, I what what I have observed is that he really does have an affinity for the fans here and for the organization. He is the only guy at every single game that will go and sign autographs for literally every person standing there with a pen out. Everybody else is running through. You know, a lot of these guys don't stop. He stops and signs for every single person before the game. He spends like half an hour just signing stuff. Which is just, it's unusual. Like, it's just strange. I mean, for it's a, a long name. I mean, what, 20 plus characters, you know, it might take a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, how long is that cursive line? <laughs> he He's printing it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, Kyle Singler, fun fact, Kyle Singler used to print his name whenever he would sign, like, a basketball. Anyways. Well, they're still printing Kyle Singler's name on checks. I saw a, 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 a <laughs> look at their salary cap. They're still paying Kyle Singler off the stretch, yeah. which is, Shout, wow. Shouts to Singler. Um <laughs> Yeah, he he loves that he's the leader of this team too. Like he really likes being the leader of this bunch and they really look up to him. He he's always having a good he always has a great attitude when you see him. He's never down in the dumps even when they lose games. Um but I mean you'd say a lot of the same stuff about KD when he was here too. So it's like hard to say. Like it's hard to get into the mind of these superstars, especially with an organization like the Thunder who like they want to keep these guys safe. Like they don't want them having a ton of conversations with media members. They don't want them have like one-offs with, with people. They they want to kind of keep them incubated. And so it's kind of. Gosh, I've never heard that before. Well, <laughs> from from do, what but do I you can. So t- do you see from Shay? Here's the thing: to take it from when he told you, you know, mm-hmm. in, in not so many words, like the losing on that level is over. Those days are over, yeah. and he kind of declared it. And so far, he's right. I mean, yeah. if I was him. I'd be I'd be having a little little pep in my step right now. I'd be enjoying this season. Is he, you know, is he out there putting on a show and enjoying himself? Does it seem like? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. he when he's on the bench, he he sits at the beginning of the fourth quarters. Like he's the guy leading the charge off the bench with everybody getting up when Josh hits a three or somebody's getting to the line or something. So he's having a great time. This whole group is having a great time. You know, you you can even see it in just the way that they behave online. I mean. He's always posting about his teammates on Instagram after almost every single game. So like the things that you can see, there's like there's like zero cause for concern for for Shea and what he wants. I mean, he wants to win. He is fully bought in, and this is what he's told us. He's fully bought in to Sam's plan. He said everything that Sam has told me, Sam Presti has told me, has happened. And so to this point. You know Thank what you else? for clarifying. I it's, we were it's also about <laughs> you know, part of everything part of, Sam Amick has told me. <laughs> part of the grand plan is, hey, here's every dollar we can give you, a max. Yes. Players like that. Hey, here's every shot that you want when you're on the court, and you're going to be marketed as the star. You have the keys to the franchise, and if you win at even a decent clip, like you mentioned earlier, like 21 and 23 is like throw a parade. Oh. Well, guess what? He's he's an all star because of this. So, like yeah. as a young player. To, to be given all-you-can-shoot buffet and be an all-star for a 21-23 and 23 team while making max money? That's... It, it, it's a great point because, I mean, this is kind of the timeline of what happened with Shea. They trade for him. They suddenly have this good team that has Chris Paul and Gallinari and Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder, and they get to the playoffs. And they lose in seven games. 
great. Chris Paul, they trade him away. They trade everybody away. I think they had like 10 trades that summer. And then Shea is left. And he's with just a bunch of young guys, a lot of guys that aren't on the Thunder now. And they say, here, this is your team. Take it. They even tell Al, For- Al Horford, like, sit down. Like, we're going we're gonna to play young guys only. And he did. He got to shoot all he wanted. He got to kind of go into the lab and, like, figure out what he wanted to be. And he worked really hard, and he's gotten better every year. And they gave him a max deal. They gave him a full five-year deal. And he gets paid all the money. He gets to be in a situation where, like, there's no pressure. Like, there's no pressure to win right now. If they're losing, you know, everybody's saying, yep, thought right. so. Right, if he right. scores you know? 32 in like a uh, like close loss against the Celtics or something, it's like, oh, wow, Shea. Feel- did everyone see Shea? I You're mean, I do think good. there's the only pressure is is to avoid some of the speculation that we kind of handed out earlier. The more they win, the more sure. people kind of chill when it comes to the narrative and the idea that because mm-hmm. we do, we have an assumption that stars in small markets will get impatient over time. And sure. you know, I hate to just be this blunt about it, but I'm sorry. Like that's what history tells us. Uh, yeah. Twenty, you know, this type of success lessen some of those narratives and we appreciate his talents. This is a, a great happy medium for them right now where draft wise they still could end up getting a good player, you know, and especially with all those picks they have. But, you know, they have got a little momentum here, some excitement. Uh all on my end, guys, I'll finish on this note on the OKC front. I next week I'll I'll be giving you the Thunder scouting report from the Amic boys because while I can't make it to the Thunder Kings game on Friday Found out today that my very generous neighbor, John, is taking my sons to the Kings Thunder game. So I'll be telling nice. them to lock in and and figure out what they think of each of these guys. Um, you know, they also, of course, have to go appreciate their their fellow ginger, uh, Kings redhead, Kevin Herter. So we got a lot going on. But, you know, I the Thunder are worth watching. Uh, you know, my goodness. I mean, we'll see if maybe they slide into the playing tournament and and make some noise. But it's not the season that we thought it was going to be in a good way. Yeah, I mean, right now they're they're tied with Phoenix right there at 11. And can the problem is there's so many teams in there. There are so many teams. I mean, you can even like you can trick yourself. If you're a Thunder fan, you can trick yourself and say we're only one and a half games out of the 6 seed. But you're also 5 teams away. <laughs> like right. you're not that right, close right. to the 6 seed. Um so it, that's what's tough about it is is like who's actually going to fall back? Like is Phoenix, Portland, Minnesota, Utah? You need two of those teams to fall back. Like are two of those teams really going to fall back and the Thunder jump them? It's not impossible. Obviously, we've seen crazy stuff happen in the league every year, but I still kind of have a hard time believing that like Phoenix and Portland and Minnesota, like Utah, I think could fall back. That wouldn't surprise me. They got a, they had a nice win today, but. I would still bet that Thunder will be in the lottery, that they want to add one more piece, and then you add Chet to this group, you add whatever you get in the draft, the development along the way, and then I think that this might be the the last year that we see the Thunder in the lottery for a while. Right, right. No, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, I'm going to pivot like this. Here, Here's the way I'm going to attempt to frame this as we move on to the last team that we're going to talk about is – you talk about a team just outside of the play-in tournament. You talk about a team with a lot of attention on, you know, on some of their talent. It's for a very different reason. The Toronto Raptors currently sitting in, make sure I have this accurate, 11th, I believe, in the East. Yes, um, 11th. 24 tied and, for 10th. Thank you. 20 and 24, tied for 10th. So, Andrew, I think we're going to bring on the esteemed Eric Kareem to talk all things Raptors. They are front and center at the trade deadline. We are going to get into that on the other side of this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right, guys, we're going to keep it moving with a little Toronto talk. Uh, if, if you had a short list of teams during this trade season that is front and center being talked about all over the place, you know, because they are that unique landscape of roster full of talented players individually that, uh, as Eric wrote in one of his recent pieces, you know, last season it looked like the, the hole was greater than the sum of its parts, and, and now it does not feel that way at all. And it naturally leads people to wonder where it is all going. Eric had a really... A uh, good couple of pieces that I enjoyed and, and pitched in a little bit on that that I think w- were well received. Analyzing the Raptors as sellers, part one and part two, highly recommend. Check those out on the Athletic site. Breaking down the kind of hypothetical futures for everybody from Fred Van Vliet to Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam. Eric, that was a long intro. What's up, sir? Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, no problem. Uh, how are you guys doing? We're good, man. I was I was kind of saying as I brought you in, you know, we were talking about OKC and it's just a polar opposite landscape to your Raptors from the standpoint of a team right outside the play-in tournament position, uh, you know, but unlike the Thunder who have some of their core and, and you know, are probably going to be fairly quiet at the deadline, uh, there's a lot of chatter about your Raptors because it seemed for a minute last season, like, you know, even post Kawhi Leonard and when we all assumed they were going to do a full rebuild that that maybe they had something where they could thread the needle and, and still remain contenders with some of the guys that they have now and and now of course that looks a little more daunting and then in terms of the market I mean they just have a lot of guys that a lot of teams would love to get their hands on so that means there's there's going to be conversation and Masai Ujiri is, is just one of the most respected executives out there so um, I guess start big picture with us as we sit here and, you know, mid-January, getting closer to the deadline. Uh, and again, you wrote about this stuff. Where is your head at as it relates to to how unpredictable and, and interesting the next few weeks might be? Well, as we record this, uh, we're about an hour removed from the Raptors going into Madison Square Garden and uh, once again beating the New York Knicks. So who knows? Maybe they rattle off 10 in a row and sure, uh, we're, 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 at, uh, we're at it's February 7th and we don't know what to do. Uh, with the Raptors here. Um, I think they are going to give it the three weeks or whatever to see how things fully play out. Masai Ujiri historically wants as big of a picture, as great of a sample as possible. Uh, The bottom line is, at least coming into the Knicks game today, they had the worst effective field goal percentage uh, offensively and the second worst... uh, defensively uh, uh, as their opponents were shooting the second highest. So uh, you can force all the turnovers, get all the offensive rebounds, et cetera, et cetera, you want and win the possession game like that. If you are bad at shooting and bad at stopping opponents from making their shots, it's hard to win consistently in this league. And that's what they found out this year. Um, They certainly found a way to do it a bit more last year. 
and the Raptors maintain a bunch of really interesting players, which, as you said, is what makes them fascinating. I think, barring that 10-11 game-winning streak popping out out of nowhere, and, and they've maxed out at three games this year, uh, so I'm not holding my breath, uh, they would, you know, it's going to be impossible pretty much for them to be buyers. How close they are, uh, but, you know, where they fall on the stand pat slash seller range depends a bit on what happens down the stretch here uh, before the trade deadline and a bit on what the market yields. And, and we could talk about the market dynamics. I'm sure they will, but uh, we will. But the Raptors have some of the most intriguing players who could theoretically be available. And, and that's sort so, of what drives this conversation. Yeah. I mean, and there's different versions of sellers. Like, you know, there is like the just sell everything off. They're about to just like, you know, fold the tents and go towards a three-year rebuild, which I don't think the, the Raptors fall under that category. They seem more like profile is like the ah, the season's not going that well, but they still got a lot of intriguing pieces like reconfigure themselves for another run next year, you know, with a, you know, a varied version of a similar roster. Um, what is just kind of like your take on what their ideal plan was? Because I was chatting with somebody in the league earlier and that they seem to get the sense that Toronto might be interested in like a younger big to like pair with this younger <laughs> core that they're moving forward with. Like, what do you think they want? Like, what is their... For, yeah. For sure. Rim protection is a huge issue with this team. Uh, Second-round pick Christian Coloco has been nice in his minutes, but he's a second-round pick who's relatively raw. Uh, and as versa, like, you know, as Toronto fans call it, version or, or vision 6-9, having these all, all these switchable, long, athletic wings uh works great when you're trying to create turnovers but the one-on-one -on -one defense just simply hasn't been there from pretty much anybody but og ananobi and uh to a lesser extent pascal siakam so when you're super aggressive and you're getting blown by uh for layups you need that guy who's going to erase some of those gambles some of those mistakes so certainly at the top of the list i think would be somebody a, a young player who can help defensively they also need you know any sort of you know quick tit quick twitch uh burst in the half court offense uh that would really help them uh but anthony i think i think you're pretty much right on and you know we're only two years removed from the quote-unquote tampa tank and uh when the raptors traded norm powell uh for gary trent jr who's a name that will come up and uh let's just say rested players liberally down the stretch uh and i think a version of that is probably you know all things being equal today the most likely result of, of what will be coming uh for the raptors well, you kind of, you might have answered my question there a little bit, or at least alluded to it, Eric. You know, when you wrote these two pieces on the different guys who could be, you know, outward bound, if you will, uh, it, it was certainly intentional to organize it the way you did. You know, you had Fred and Gary in one piece, and then OG and Pascal in the other. Two guys a little more high profile than the other, but but among those four, what is your feeling about, you know, uh, if something did go down here, is it more the... Not necessarily many fireworks, but I mean, if they move Pascal or a player of that caliber, that is a you know league altering move potentially. Um, and OG is also a dude who is you know widely considered a, a big time impact player. Um, start with those, I guess, the higher net profile guys. Do you feel like a world does exist when when they really listen to those offers and and strongly consider it? Look, a world exists because, uh, as I said earlier, like it's going to be a seller's market because of the play in tournament and because of the sort of number of teams that can say, look, we're championship contenders. Like the, I mean, it's something we've discussed throughout the season. That number is really high, higher than most years. So when you're at the, when you're, you maybe have the most desirable players to sell in a seller's market, you have to listen. It's sort of incumbent upon you. I think trading Pascal Siakam they're going to have to be offered something. I, I think the Rudy Gobert trade is a sort of an outlier and it's unfair. If they're expecting that, like, you know, they could keep holding their breath. Something closer to the Donovan Mitchell package 
I don't think that's unreasonable to ask for, even though Siakam is older. He's probably also more likely to resign on, on an extension. And he's in the he's playing like an all NBA player and is in the heart of his career. So I don't realistically think that's going to happen before the trade deadline. I think that's the type of move that, you know, is so big it's probably summertime uh that we're looking at that. If it does happen, uh, you know, I'll say I, I would predict Pascal Siakam is still playing for the Raptors opening night, 2023, whatever year this is. Yeah. Um, and yeah. is a bit of a different story um, because first of all, he's an easier piece for an acquiring team to fit in. Like he's, he can be more than this, but he is a souped up three and D guy. And that's just a guy who's pretty easy for a lot of teams to figure out how to use on the fly. Uh, and if the Raptors can sort of add to their depth, which has been a huge problem, and get a few picks for him, I'm not saying they want to trade him. I don't think they do. I think they really like him, but they've sort of seen, you know, we're getting close maybe to seeing his ceiling as, again, a souped up 3 and D guy. Maybe he falls short of being that, you know, really consistent year-to-year all-star consideration, and that's fine. Uh, but those players are hugely valuable. And if you want to diversify a little bit and, and get deeper a little bit in terms of the type of talent you have, he is a great candidate to move. I, I Again, I always bet against trades happening because they're really hard to pull off. Um, but he would be a piece. I, I'm just thinking from a contending team's uh, point of view, I could talk myself into as like, Let's pay a bit more than we feel comfortable with, and that's going to go a long way to really solidifying our status as right. a contender, not only for this year, but next year, too. How do you feel like the human dynamics are coming into play here? And more specifically, you know, this is a Raptors team that that post-championship, you know, like I kind of hit it on earlier, they thought for a moment, or at least it appeared, that there would be a time of transition then it was, you know, a little more success than anticipated. And and players, as you know, they just a lot of times they want some clarity on where the entire operation is going. And so once they sense that there there might be, and you know, Slater knows this term well, there might be a couple of tracks and you know, as part of the the operation. Uh, they don't really necessarily want to be a part of that. And and I ask because, you know, just the other day, you know, Pelicans guard CJ McCollum made headlines when on his podcast he kind of it was one of many things he said on the pod, but he quickly referenced that uh, he said for tampering reasons, you know, shout out tampering, that uh, that he couldn't get into it, but that, you know, that there were guys on the Raptors that weren't happy uh, and that he thought something would happen there. He obviously didn't kind of drill down on that at all, uh, but he raised a few eyebrows in terms of just the mood in the room and, and you know, maybe some folks who would be just fine getting relocated here. How do you see that? I think people are frustrated this year and this happens when any team has success and then doesn't meet expectations the next year. I mean, as much as, you know, we can shout to the heavens, progress doesn't happen in a straight line, but the second that doesn't happen, people get frustrated and and fans are frustrated and guys inside the locker room are frustrated. And Scotty Barnes, a guy we haven't mentioned and, you know, certainly won't be involved in any big picture trade talks, uh, has has only really come on in these last five to 10 games and sort of picking up where he left off from last year. It's been a an awkward thing to try and increase his role within the team while still doing, you know, what's best for the team on a game-to-game basis. And that's why, you know, Dwayne Casey always used to say it when he was the head coach in Toronto, uh, trying to win while still trying to develop. And Anthony, you're seeing that in Golden State over the last few years. It's a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, Do I think guys are like very unhappy and want out? Not really. Do I think this has been a fun year and that the energy has been consistently awesome? No. Um, So I think like clarity would be good for everybody but uh, but at the same time Masayu Jerry is definitely a guy who likes to uh keep his options open as long as possible uh he he's seen sort of as this like 
fiery, um, aggressive deal maker. And at some time, like he's certainly emotional, but he also will not be rushed into things. I think we saw that during the course of the Lowry DeRozan years. Uh, and we're seeing that again now. And we saw it with Pascal Siakam's struggles. And look, we're on the other side of that. And Pascal Siakam has reemerged as an all NBA type player. And if you traded him now, you'd get a lot more than you would a year and a half ago. And um, so he's he's not going to let, I, I don't think, vibes, uh, for a lack of a better word, determine where this, thing's go, this thing goes in February. Now, if you bring me back in May or June, that could have, you know, and he has fully evaluated things, like, it could certainly change. But for now, things are good enough and professional enough that I don't think that's a major consideration. Yeah, and I don't think good GMs will make rash moves to, you know, in- improve the vibes of a season they already feel is lost. I think that they might rearrange the roster before the next season. Like, hey, you know, we need to make, you know, make sure that the chemistry of this team is much better. But if the plan is, hey, we're probably going to lose anyways and-, and increase our draft pick in March and April, I don't, I think. To me, I think the shrewdest GMs are like, I don't really care if there's a little unhappiness in the locker room because we ain't trying to win a title at this point, you know? Um, so I that would be, you know, bigger picture. And then it's just disappointing season. And and I just think a lot of times it's as simple as like expectations and standings equal, you know, how the it, it, sometimes it's not particular personalities. It's just like, hey, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be unhappy with each other because they were expected to be much better and they're worse. The Toronto Raptors were not supposed to be 20 and 24. They were supposed to be like dark horse East like threat. And they're just not. I mean, it's the reason why the Warriors, you know, with their same collection of players don't have the greatest, you know, uh, vibes right now because they're 22 and 22. And it's also why the team we talked about in the middle of this podcast, the Thunder at 21 and 23 are like having the time of their lives because they were not expected to be. That's all I'd say on that. Yeah, you're right on. Um, and to your point, I don't think it's like, oh, player X hates player Y or, or you know, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam are clashing. Like, it's nothing like that. Um, but when things aren't going well, guys want to fix it. Guys all have their own idea of how to fix it. And it's a team that, you know, is working pretty hard and plays a high effort style and they're getting nothing from it or not nothing, but you know, not what they expected from it. And that's frustrating. And if you show up to work and aren't getting done what you, you know, saw last year, you think was proof that you can get done, you're going to start to not feel great about your workplace every day. That's only natural. Indeed. Indeed, gentlemen. I'm, I hope you're feeling good about your workplace. I, I feel good about the time <laughs> we spent today analyzing things. Eric, I appreciate it. I know this is a busy time of year. Slater as well. You guys are grinding on your respective beats and nice enough to join the old pod and break it down. Thank you, as always, to the listeners. We're going to let these guys get out of here, and we will be back next week. Thank you, guys. See you. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.